yes, we changed our name from patient opinion to care opinion. That's because um, we were finding increasingly uh, a wider range of people were wanting to use uh, the online feedback service mm -hmm. who didn't really identify themselves as being patients. So obviously, uh, for example, carers and family members yeah. and so on would say, well, we, can we post our feedback? We're not patients. Uh, and then uh, people in mental health mm. services very often uh, reject the, the patient terminology. And similarly, uh, women using maternity care or people in drug and alcohol services or a range of health, uh, social care services would say, well, we're not really yeah. patients, but we want to give feedback through this platform. Yeah. So it seemed right to reflect that in a name change. And at the same time that we changed Care Opinion, we changed our legal structure to become a community interest company. We wanted to make it much more clear that we're a non-profit social enterprise, everybody would understand that. Mm. Uh, and we've continued to work very hard on uh, increasing the accessibility of the, the website, the online platform. So, uh, for example, we now have ways that people can use pictures to share their feedback online. Uh, we have some BSL videos. Uh, we have... Um, uh, a special button you can press that would read the story to you or read yeah, the response brilliant. to you. Yeah, that's uh, great. There's some machine translation, all sorts of things. So we've done a lot of work on it around accessibility and on making the whole thing uh, easier for, for staff as well as patients uh, to use and also to add more reporting and data visualizations for staff. So there's all sorts of uh, things going on. But we've also started to sort of um, try to develop work around health professional education so um, uh, care opinion is used in a couple of nursing schools for example um, as part of the curriculum and we're starting to uh, do teaching with medical students in a number of med schools uh, who are starting to experiment with uh, the potential for these sorts of uh, patient stories to become uh, significant resources for, mm. for, for teaching and learning. So, so is that how they're using it by um, taking some of the stories from page, uh, from um, care opinion and um, and sharing them as part of the learning and reflecting on kind of what yeah, happens? Yeah, so for example next week I'm teaching uh, with colleagues at Imperial Medical School and it's a module in which um, it's an optional module where students are looking at narrative analysis. What yeah. can we learn from uh, hearing how people share their stories mm -hmm. and what matters to them in their care, what can we learn about issues yeah. in, in medical care around things like ethics or communication mm. or safety or so on. So that's typically how, mm. how people are using it. Uh, so we have all kinds of other ideas in that yeah, space. Yeah, I was going to say you're looking at <laughs> themes as well. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's just such a lot you can yeah. do. And of course, um, uh, you know, we have ideas that we'd like to do if we had the resource, and mm. I think one day we will do, for example, enabling patients to become, um, as it were, sort of online educators yeah. as well for uh, healthcare professionals in training. So all sorts of uh, interesting uh, possibilities. So yeah, I think it's, it's come a long way in terms yeah. of use. Um, the plat platform's now used widely across uh, Scotland. Um, it's shortly, we think, to be used across Northern Ireland and in England it's a bit more patchy but there are some trusts using care opinion very heavily and others not so much. 
There's also a bit of interest now in, in, in general practice. Uh, uh, people saying, well, you know, actually we do need a safe way for people to yeah. give feedback online. It needs to be safer than Google reviews, mm. for example. We need to find ways to do this productively and positively. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I think there's a lot to learn in that space too. So lots, mm. lots happening. Lots of developments. Um, and you've been speaking at the event um, today. Yeah. Um, what were you talking about? Well, I, actually, I was chairing a session. It was okay. a, a session this morning with um, uh, three uh, research papers. Um, funnily enough, all about um, really about how staff respond to online feedback, um, uh, both in terms of how they feel about online feedback and also in terms of how they literally post responses online yeah, to online yeah. feedback. Uh, and those papers were from uh, uh, Louise Lowcock from Aberdeen, uh, Lauren Ramsey from here in Leeds, and Alex Gillespie from London School of Economics. And they all came from uh, slightly different directions of that question. But what was very interesting was um, that there's clearly a wide range of responding styles to online feedback across healthcare institutions. Mm -hmm. So some of that variation seems to be almost as it were, trust level or organisational level yeah. policy. So some organisations seem much more closed yeah. to online feedback. Some explicitly ignore it. Uh, some post only generic responses, the same for everybody. And some post very individualised personal uh, responses to, to stories. And so a lot of that seems to be shaped by organisational culture and policy. Yeah. But then within that, there are very different responding styles from individuals as well. So some people post very empathic, um, uh, personal, specific responses, others post more defensive responses. Yeah. And Alex Gillespie's paper was absolutely fascinating because he was talking about uh, different strategies of defensiveness and deflection that organisations will use mm. in relation to feedback coming in, yeah. uh, particularly when the feedback is, is raising concerns about care. Yeah. So, to, talking about um, different strategies like personalising the problem, um, uh, making it sound as if the problem is one-off rather than general, yeah. and looking towards a much more positive future rather than dealing with a negative past, for example. Mm. So Alex has been exploring those um, defensive strategies yeah. by analysing a, a very large number, over 200,000 uh, story and response pairs from Care Opinion running it through an automated analysis to detect um, uh, language patterns suggesting those different strategies. That's uh, which was really, really interesting. Mm. Um, and some evidence there um, by correlating that with measures of organisational culture coming from the NHS staff survey, some suggestion that actually more defensive organisations may also be less transparent and less effective or high quality organizations in terms of care. So, um, so this whole question about um, online feedback throwing a light on organizational mm. culture, not just because of through the way that patients share their experiences, but through the way that organizations and staff respond to those yeah. experiences in their responses. So we can learn a lot from the responses that people post on Care Opinion, yeah. and actually perhaps more than people expect. Mm. Um, so, so that was so that was fascinating. It can have a massive impact, though. I mean, I remember investigating a complaint a few years ago, and um, 
the person who um, whose complaint it was. She was someone who had a diagnosis of personality disorder, and um, and when I told her that I was upholding a complaint and that there were some issues and learning for um, staff in the organisation, um, she cried and said that nobody had ever, you know, believed her, listened to her complaints, and really you know that was just about um you know being open really and um and taking the time but i did think at the time that a lot of the complaint was focused much more on the process rather than the actual content mm. of the complaint mm -hmm. and that's why i love you know what mm -hmm. you're doing because it kind of cuts through all that doesn't it and it allows people to kind of directly put something online and i think then once it's online it kind of um you know, it moves organisations towards a quicker response and things, doesn't it? And well, uh, uh, oh, that's how I would perceive yes, it anyway. Yes, I think that's right. And one of Alex's arguments was actually by making this uh, public, we encourage, as it were, better behaviours yeah. on the part of perhaps both patients and staff. Yeah. Uh, what Alex called greater rationality in the in the interaction. So, uh, Alex is a social psychologist and what he's particularly interested in is um, what is it that makes for a good dialogue and yeah. how do we recognise a good dialogue when we see it. Yeah. So um, from our perspective at Care Opinion, that's what we're concerned with, that's what we want. Mm. We, want we want online feedback to work well for the patient but we want it to work well for the staff too. Yeah. And so we're very concerned about how do we build a platform that supports a high quality dialogue between mm. patients and staff yeah. which leads to wider learning and change for other people too so that's the challenge that mm. we've sort of set ourselves if you like yeah. we've been working on for the last you know how many years it yeah, is yeah. long time uh, so it was really fascinating to hear from a social psychologist whose area of expertise is precisely around that issue of dialogues between individuals and organizations yeah. and how how we can measure the quality of those dialogues and encourage those dialogues to be of better quality. Mm. So that was completely fascinating. Mm. The, the, one of the other papers was from Lauren Ramsey, who's a PhD student here in Leeds. And she's, she's again, she's looking at the way organisations respond on Care Opinion, but what she's going on to do now is ethnographic research, uh, which is about what is there a difference between as as it were what happens in public on care opinion and what yeah. happens in private as it were yeah. behind oh, the scenes that's really interesting. so this idea of sort of front stage and backstage mm. so you know we all know because you know we're on twitter and things yeah. that you know in a sense we're performing absolutely like on instagram yeah, yeah. you know you make, is, yeah. you make everything look good you're a great yeah. success everything's glossy yeah. and we know how to respond and there are, are some concerns that maybe that happens on care opinion so right um for example, organisations may say, well, we're listening, mm. but how do we know yeah, that they're yeah, listening? That and and is anything up? happening behind the scenes to back that up? Yeah. So Lauren's research is about going into a number of different organisations with different responding styles on care opinion and looking at, okay, you, this is how you're performing in public, but how are you performing backstage? Yeah. And is there a correlation or are they completely different? Um, so, so that's what she's working on. So she's that work's just beginning now at the moment. She's going around different organisations, and then Louise Locock was talking about uh, some of the challenges staff have with public online feedback, particularly around the issue of anonymity. Yeah. So people feel very anxious, particularly I think healthcare professionals feel very anxious when they're getting feedback from somebody mm. that, and they don't know who that somebody is. Yeah. So there are questions about well. 
is this person really exist? Yeah. What kind of person are they? Are they telling me the truth? Mm. How can I deal with their problem if yeah. I don't know who they are? Mm. And because in healthcare we're very often dealing with the person in front of us and trying to help them, when there is no person in front of us, yeah. we feel, well, how can we help? Yeah. But yeah. actually when, when we're in the online world, we have to think about, well, maybe there are things we can do even without knowing who that person Definitely. is. Definitely. So from a patient perspective, the anonymity of care opinion is crucial mm. to people to feel safe that they can yeah. give honest feedback. From a staff perspective, it makes people feel very awkward about whether they can trust that feedback. Yeah. So that's the paradox. Yeah, but then on the other hand, you could see that it kind of depersonalizes the feedback and allows organizations to look at more general learning. So if it's anonymous, rather than focusing on that individual person's care and treatment, in a way it kind of takes that emotion out of it, doesn't it? And would allow organisations to look at it more objectively and look at it as a system, which is yes. a message coming through one of from the, the event as well. And one of the differences between communicating with a healthcare professional because you want care and feedback is mm. that when you're giving feedback, you're not saying, usually you're not saying, I'm giving you this feedback because I want you to improve my care. You're saying, I'm yeah. giving you like, this feedback because I'm wanting you to improve care for other people. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so w once you understand that, you need to then be able to look at the feedback and say, well, okay, we don't know who this person is and we can't necessarily help them, but can we take what they're telling us yeah. and use that to make things better? And very often you can. Mm. And yeah. you don't need to know who it is. But yeah. that's something that's a little bit countercultural, I think, for lots yeah. of uh, healthcare staff. Yeah. Is there a difference between, you might not know this, or it might even be anecdotal, but between, um, I'm thinking as a mental health nurse, between sort of mental health organisations and maybe, you know, medical organisations who are using care opinion? Or I think there are. There's all sorts of interesting differences. Mm. And I think this is an area we really ought to mm. see more research on. Actually, it's very timely that you ask because just last week on, on World Mental Health Day, um, uh, Scott Weish published a study, an NHR-funded study, on feedback in inpatient mental health settings, yeah. uh, which was done by uh, universities of Birmingham and Sheffield. And that showed that people um, f do have things they can say, even in acute yeah. inpatient mental health settings, that will contribute to the quality of care. They have important things they want to say. They feel that very often people aren't interested Mm. They often feel unsafe yeah. in saying those things. People quite often fear that they'll that their feedback will be pathologized. In other words, um, that the feedback will be seen as a symptom, if you like, of their yeah. condition. So yeah. you know, you're only saying that because you're being manipulative, for yeah. example. Or yeah, you're only absolutely. saying that because you're attention seeking. Yeah, and labeling. I think people in mental health settings very often feel that about raising concerns, mm. that, that they're frightened to do that because it will be seen as an aspect of, of their, of their uh, distress, if you like. Um, so, but what Scott Weish's study also found was that actually people are prepared to give feedback even in acute mental health settings, to clinicians that they trust and have a yeah. relationship with. And so they will do that. Um, so I think there are differences between mental health mm. care and other care settings in respect of um, uh, the vulnerability of people, yeah. the, the, the possibility of being pathologised, very often the, uh, the fact that their care may not be voluntary, mm. so they, they may be yeah, sec sectioned. 
Um, so, you know, these things raise the stakes mm. for people giving honest feedback and make it more difficult. And I think also culturally we probably say to ourselves, well, what can this person tell us since, you know, by definition we've already decided that, you know, they're not entirely rational. Yeah. Uh, and so it's easier for healthcare staff, I think, to, to discount the feedback given by yeah. people in mental health services. And when you think about what we've just been hearing about from Mary Dixon Woods, we're talking about things like Shipman and how people raise concerns quite early on around irregularities. It makes you think about mental health organisations, doesn't it, if in terms of people raising things and not being listened to for all the reasons that you've just said, when actually they could have really valid concerns. Yes, so it's that's a worry, right. really. I mean, it, I think on the other side, on the sort of plus side, there's a long history of service user involvement and mm. service user voice mm. and service user organisations, very active advocacy organisations yeah. and campaign organisations within mental health, which you don't find so much in other, yeah. in other healthcare settings. That's right. And so I think from a mental health organisations' point of view, it should be an easier and more comfortable yeah. uh, thing to be doing in principle you would and think talking to people you know, is our kind of bread and butter that's work. right yeah, so yeah. we know it's all about mm, relationships yeah and you know those you know so we should be good at that listening for some reason that doesn't always translate into practice yeah, yeah. um but you know there is that history there uh, which in whereas in other healthcare settings i think it, it still feels very, very countercultural, quite yeah. an alien idea, yeah. the, uh, this idea of people giving feedback in public. Yeah, yeah. One other thing I wanted to ask you about was um, your interesting comment that you made at the end of the last session, and I'm just interested in your views. You asked about um, the role of social media around um, voice and um, patient safety. What are your views on the kind of, and I know we're both in that space, and you know, we see people, um, you know, reporting, for example, the hospital experiences from inpatient wards and things. But what's your view on um, what impact that has, if any, within the system? I've always felt that social media uh, could, pay, could, could play a really important role in uh, changing the culture of large organisations like health services. Mm. Um, I don't think it's specific to health services, but... So I, I think that social media, at best, uh, has the possibility of bringing the outside world more, yeah. more into an organisation mm. and bringing the inside world of the organisation out into yeah. the public domain. So I think it, it potentially makes organisational, the organisational boundary, if you like, more permeable yeah. to communication in and out. And I think that's important. And I, and I think there's also a tendency that... Um, that social media flattens organisational mm. hierarchies, yeah. so it makes it easier, for example, for bad news to flow up an organisation. This morning, um, yeah. Alex Gillespie was was sort of defining, um, uh, you know, organisational cultures in terms of the ability of bad news to flow upwards right. from the front line. You know, so poor bad organisational culture is when, you know, bad yeah. things happen, but nobody says or people right. or people suppress so that that knowledge doesn't reach um, uh, the, the the people in charge and of course social media potentially subverts that because yeah. it because it subverts some um, uh, you know these these hierarchical structures you know we can communicate up and down the structure much more easily and openly yeah. and even out and outside the organization I think that 
uh, creates new possibilities for people at the top of organisations to know when things aren't going yeah. well. Now, whether they choose to to see that yeah. or act on it yeah. is another question, but there is that possibility. And if you you think of um, you know a classic example just in the last uh, week or two of um, Alison Cameron posting mm. about her experiences of mental health inpatient care very courageously and bravely sharing mm. her, those experiences online on Twitter in, uh, for people to see the experiences of uh, services where she doesn't feel safe, yeah. where she's subject to, to abusive behaviour, where she feels that her staff are not taking her safety uh, mm. seriously, yeah. those sorts of things. Now, if without social media, there'd be no way for her to communicate those messages yeah. outwards and upwards. Yeah. With social media, she can do that very directly to to the to the senior staff in that yeah. organisation. That that doesn't guarantee that anything changes. No. But it does at least raise that possibility. Yeah, and I guess it encourages other people as well, because like you say, Alison is very brave and she does speak openly, but. I'm sure it must encourage other people to do the same and that there are ways that they can have a voice. Yes. Um, so some of this does depend on, uh, I mean, some of the impact of social media on health and social care services depends on how many people, both within, mm. both working in those services and using those services, are prepared to engage and, yeah. uh, and share their experiences and listen to other people on social media. Yeah. And if people aren't doing that, some, sometimes I see tweets from people using mental health services where they'll say, where they'll say well, where are all the psychiatrists on Twitter? You yeah. know, where, where are they? And there are some, but, yeah. but are there enough? Yeah, you know, yeah, so. interesting, yeah. Okay, well, that's great. Any final um, thoughts just before we finish? Because I know I'm probably keeping you from the next session. No, not, not at all. I, well, I, I think my final thought from, from, from being here today and listening to all the the fantastic research and the debates is we you know this is just a, an evolving story really I think in lots of ways particularly in relation to online feedback uh, we're still very much at the beginning of yeah. this journey and there's just so much more we need to learn and mm. um, there's so many more research questions coming up all the time uh, there's so many more possibilities for creating um, uh, online platforms and services which which really do make it easier for people's voices to lead to learning and change. I think there's just so much more we can do. So yeah. I'm going to go away with an enormous sense of possibility mm. from this. Thank you. It's really inspiring. Welcome. Um.